The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the founder of Fish on First, providing you guys with complete Miami Marlins coverage. Welcome back to the show. I have a guest joining me very shortly. This episode is going to be dedicated to Marlins defense, the art of fielding, that aspect of the game. Just a couple notes to get into before diving into that conversation about that particular subject. I am excited. While you are listening to this, that means the article should be up on the site right now for our Miami Marlins podcast directory. I do this show every week. We have several other shows under our same Fish on First banner. We appreciate everybody that listens to those. Rates and reviews, of course. Recommend them to friends. We're not the only ones in this content creation space. Felt it was overdue to create a landing page on our website, fishonfirst.com, that highlights a lot of the other podcasts that are being hosted mainly about the team from fans, from other journalists, et cetera, different perspectives, English and Spanish. That page is now up on our site right now. I encourage if you're listening here to us on Fish on First, you'll be able to find most of these other shows as well on all those same providers. So I just wanted to uh, to plug that. That is now up on our site, podcast directory, introducing you to, to the hosts of all those shows. I have an embedded Spotify player on that page that will automatically fill in with the latest episode um, from each of those shows. Whenever it is that you're visiting that page, you'll get the most up-to-date stuff about them. And I've been a guest on most of these shows at, at one point, so full disclosure, not completely biased. These are these are a lot of friends of mine as well. So that thing is, is up on our site. Encourage to get multiple perspectives on the Miami Marlins and people that dive into certain topics in niches that, that I don't and that nobody else here does. You get a, a more complete understanding about what's going on with the team. You get some good ideas by following these people as well. So once again, Miami Marlins podcast directory, find that right on, it's going to be near the top of our homepage. If you are listening to this, I'll be sure to share it on all our social media places. So you have a nice place to find it, discover these other content creators out there that are talking about the Marlins in all sorts of creative ways. Back to this particular episode, talking defense. As we're recording this one time through the Marlin spring training rotation, you have to be pretty excited about what you're seeing, even in a Sandy Alcantara-less world for 2024. Uh, just about everybody who's thrown so far this first five-ish games of the spring has looked really good. There's reason to believe that this could be one of the better pitching staffs in baseball. That being said, the run prevention is a combination of pitching and also defense. Uh, last year, by most measures, the Marlins were a below-average defensive team. Made it all the more remarkable that they made it as far as they did, qualifying for the postseason, because we, as we know, they were bad offensively and also bad with the glove. And you would think that those things would kind of pr preclude you from reaching, from having a winning record, much less qualifying for the postseason itself. We're going to dive into that with Mark Simon of Sports Info Solutions. I don't know if he's been on the show. I've been following his work a long time and I've had conversations off and on through the years with him, uh, mainly via Twitter as well. I think he's been on maybe one fish stripe show a few years ago. Anyway, he, he does a really good job of articulating exactly what is going on here. Sports Info Solutions, they measure defensive runs saved. And that has, it was a long way for us to kind of formulate our opinions about whether fielding is good or bad. And we dive into handful of particular Marlins players 
Tim Anderson, Jazz Chisholm Jr., among others, as well as getting a better idea about how this whole pieces fit together for 2024, whether we could expect maybe some improvement as well, understanding that that's going to be pretty important for this run prevention unit to reach its full potential right here. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation quite a bit with Eli. Daniel Rodriguez was on this one as well, hosting our interview with Mark Simon of Sports Info Solutions. Check it out. Back here on the official show, Eli Sussman alongside Daniel Rodriguez. When it comes to the fielding aspect of baseball, it can sometimes be difficult to know what you're looking at. Even when you have a clear perspective on a certain player or a specific play, how do you quantify that and factor that into a team's overall performance? This continues to be a challenge, but Sports Info Solutions is up for that challenge. They've been pioneers in the sports data space since 2002. Our special guest here on the pod. It's Mark Simon of Sports Info Solutions. He does an outstanding job, in my opinion, of translating that data into actionable information. I've been following Mark's stuff since his ESPN days, a long time ago. And, but he's been in content creation at Sports Info Solutions for more than half a decade. And he's here to talk to us about the Miami Marlins defense, mainly in terms of defensive runs saved and all the factors that go into calculating that and putting a number behind this. So thanks for joining us, Mark. Yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, very thorough introduction. Uh, it was, as we strive to be very accurate, uh, that introduction uh, really encapsulated, I think, uh, who we are and what we do. So yeah, cool. Let's do it. Right. I wanted to first bring up something that I think has faded into the background fairly quickly in that this time a year ago was the first time that Major League Baseball made rule changes that restricted infield shifting. And I'm curious how... That change that I, th I think people have very quickly gotten adjusted to life with more traditional positioning. How has that affected your work and the measurement that Sports Info Solution does? Is it more boring now that guys have <laughs> these more conventional, traditional positioning? Or does it make it your job easier now that we have a, like a clear idea of where players are supposed to be? Yeah, um, I, I actually don't think in terms of what you're asking specifically, it didn't impact um, much. Um, because in the end, we're just looking to identify where a guy is before every pitch. Um, and you just have to, um, there's an all nine feed first for that, that, um, that certain data sources have access to, uh, that allows you to do that. So it's just a matter of, um, looking at the screen, um, boring, um, I guess, I don't know. Um, I don't know that I would, I would, uh, classify it, uh, that way, um, uh, like most people, I think would say that baseball was more exciting last year. Uh, so I don't know that I would I would necessarily would say it was more boring. My question would have to be on a Tim Anderson going there and his just defensive play. Um, he graded out pretty poorly um, last season, I believe. He was fourth or or fifth in total DRS, um, or I should say bottom fourth or fifth in total DRS last season. Um, do you believe that that um, will continue his subpar play into this season with the Marlins or considering maybe his track record uh, performance wise with the White Sox that it maybe was just more of a hiccup or do you see it maybe continuing now with the Marlins? No, this is a good discussion. Um, and admittedly, and I'm 
perfectly willing to say this. Different sources have different pieces of information regarding this. Um, and we are of the belief that the last two seasons, that Tim Anderson's defense has not been good, uh, not been particularly good at all. And I suppose that doesn't bode well for future defensive play. He's had, by our measures, he's had one really good season in the past. And uh, 2020, he was all right. And 2021, he was okay. Uh, but he's had a few uh, particularly bad seasons. Bouncing ball towards short. Anderson goes off his glove and a run scores. Tried to throw it home before he had the ball and a costly error evens it up here in the ninth inning. The issue that he has, and this will be an interesting challenge for Jody Reed and for whoever else works with the Marlins infielders. By our numbers, Tim Anderson does not rate well at getting to the ground ball that is hit up the middle. Um, I would say he is as poor, poorly rated in that as anyone in baseball. And I, the way that our data works, just to I guess explain it from a simplest terms perspective is you would imagine the field as like a grid and you would say, okay, when a ball is hit here this fast by a right-handed or left-handed hitter, this is how often over a year or two that this guy of this speed quality was turned into an out. So a ground ball up the middle, let's say had, let's say there was a chunk of the field that was like a, 60, 70% out probability. Maybe for Tim Anderson, it's like a 50% out probability. Um, but he's just not doing as well getting to that ball. Now, Jody Reed, and I wrote about this, did very well with defensive positioning of the Marlins infielders last year. Could some of that have been attributed to just the fact that he was a little too far away for himself uh, to be able, Tim, to be able to reach those balls uh, and maybe they put him in a better position to try to get to them without necessarily sacrificing what he can get going in the other direction? Maybe. So I'll be curious to see whether it holds. I would think if we were doing like some sort of prediction system on him, we would have him probably as like a minus 10 kind of player, which would be bottom level in the majors. Um, I do want to say one other thing about him that I think is important. Uh, and this is in particular, if you look at last year, we do a cool thing that I think like a fan could, could almost do if they had the full list of like parameters for it, what we call good fielding plays and defensive misplays. And we have 30 categories of good fielding plays, 60 categories of bad ones. And uh, the good ones are not just things like making a web jam, like a diving catch. That's part of it. And the, that's a fair amount of it, actually. Uh, but the good ones are also like keeping the ball in the infield on a ball, like man on first, uh, ball hitting the, in the first base, second base hole. The second baseman dives and fields it, can't throw the guy out. But the runner that was on first only gets to second instead of going to third. You get a credit, a chunk of a run save, basically, for doing that. And those add up over time, and you might accumulate positives or negatives. And Tim Anderson, one of his issues is he accumulates some negatives there. Uh, in fact, if you look at last year, in terms of good plays, and you did it like per inning, he's the he's he's the bottom, like the total bottom, uh, in terms of good plays per thousand innings. Uh, and then if you looked at misplays, like plays that he didn't make uh, that 
in our view, he could have made that a negative consequence happened. Maybe he slipped and fell, uh, any number of things. He's near the bottom in that too. Um, so those are with defensive runs saved. We thought he was a negative last year. With this other stat that we've got, the good plays and the bad plays, we think he's a negative uh, shortstop. I'm curious to see what they can they can do with him. Maybe he's not like that old, so maybe they can fix him. Yeah, for the people watching this on YouTube, I had to share an error that he made against the Marlins towards the middle of the year. It was an infamous one because it keyed a very big comeback that the team made. That was a classic bad fielding play that was hit directly at him. One of the rules for our misplays is that if you got your glove on the ball in any way, shape, or form, um, and you didn't, uh, and you didn't um, get the out, uh, we consider that a misplay because the idea behind that is if you got your glove on it, in some world you could have made that play. Maybe, maybe uh, it was a routineish kind of thing. Maybe it was a more difficult one, um, but. Some guys accumulate a decent number of those. I don't know that his is necessarily a decent number. Um, but yeah, uh, that's just, just again, to articulate how we do this sort of thing. Um, that's another piece of information that I think is worth knowing. And with uh, Tim Anderson, you know, we've heard rumblings at the beginning that he could potentially move to, to second base, but that seems like it's going to be stuck with Larissa Reyes for the foreseeable future. Do you see him more as projecting more as a, a second baseman long term, or do you think maybe his inconsistent defense will just follow him to that position as well? So if he moves short to second, in theory, like he should be um, at the very least a little better. Uh, it's interesting. We actually looked this up because of Xander Bogarts is moving uh, short to second for the Padres, and I thought that the difference like short to second was going to be really large. And if you look at the history, like 20 years of data and guys that did that, how good they were. Um, I didn't, I, I, I was surprised. They, there were some guys that improved. There were some guys that didn't. Um, Bryson Stott improved on the Phillies. Uh, that was a significant one. Um, Jorge Polanco now on the Mariners and the twins uh, improved, but there were a lot of guys that didn't. And then I looked at it like from more narrow time frame, and it's like the last three, four years, the guys that are moving short to second, they're seeing a nice jump. And I'm wondering if that's just because positioning is more sophisticated and they're able to put guys that were shortstops at second base, they're going to put them in high level positions to succeed. And Tim Anderson, like if you're going to be a major league shortstop, he's got to be a good athlete. Uh, he's got to be a terrific athlete. Uh, I would think that if he goes to second base, he'll be at least a little bit better uh, than, than he was. Um, and I think if he's going to hit how he hit last year, he's going to have to play two or three positions and turn himself into a Joey Wendell type uh, in order to survive in the major leagues. You already mentioned this, Mark, about the analysis you did in the middle of last season about positioning and how at that time the Marlins were the best in terms of your calculation of runs saved by infield positioning. Could you just briefly walk us through how it is that you calculate that stuff? Because once yeah. again, Jody Reed was leading that effort last year and he's back with the Marlins this year. Yeah, sure. So <sighs> it's a hard one to articulate verbally i'm gonna try um imagine that a ball is hit you know just wherever whatever spot you're thinking we're thinking like um up the middle 
we track a few different out probabilities for that ball up the middle. We track it for all balls hit up the middle, regardless of where someone was playing. We track it for balls hit up the middle where a guy was playing within a certain range of space, uh, which is like that happens in a game. Okay, Joey Wendell's playing there. That's where we mark him. And then we mark him, uh, we mark him the out probability of what it is when the ball was actually fielded by the fielder. So a ground ball up the middle, let's imagine that it had a 21% um, out probability. Um, but, and that's all, imagine that all balls hit to that spot, had a 21% out probability. Now, imagine that you knew where Joey Wendell was playing and he was playing shaded significantly where he could get to that ball. The out probability changes from 21% to 78%. So what we're doing is we're giving the Marlins and essentially Jody Reed here a credit for improving their team's out probability by using their cards or whatever positioning method they're using by putting Joey Wendell in a spot where instead of 21%, he's got a 78% chance to make the play. Um, and that's how we calculate it. We look at every play, every ball that's hit. You add all the numbers together. You subtract the ones that they didn't that they didn't field. Um, they, like if I put Joey Wendell somewhere and a ball is hit, um, what's an example of that? If I'm playing, uh, if I'm playing the third baseman way off the line and a ball is hit uh, right to a spot that the that like if the third baseman had been playing. Normally, um, he would have fielded nine times out of 10. You're losing the value because you made it harder for your player to get to that ball. Again, hard to explain verbally. There's an article that we called Reeling Them In that I wrote in June that explains it in more detail with images and stats and all sorts of stuff. But basically, what Joey Reed and the Marlins were doing, and the analytics team deserves credit for this too, uh, was they were putting guys in better spots to improve the out probabilities. Even if they didn't make the play, and they're like, you know, Luis Arise is in a great spot, but he muffs the ball. Joey Reed doesn't get punished for that. Uh, mm -hmm. The Marlins get, the team gets a credit for that. In off, I don't know if you're aware one way or another, but during the second half of the year, were they equally as good in that aspect or did they come back down to earth a little? So I think they got, uh, I think they were no longer first at the end of the year, but they were near the top. I think the Cardinals may have ended up first uh, in total runs saved. I think it goes Cardinals, Dodgers, Marlins as the top three. So I guess they might've sagged a little bit, or maybe the Cardinals or Dodgers just simply were, were really good. Uh, down the stretch. So it's something I think that the Marlins should be feeling good about um, as they head into 2024, that they got a guy that knows what he's doing when it comes to putting guys in the right spots. Uh, I wanted to ask and go a little bit more on the captain position, which has just been almost a mess for the Marlins since losing JT Romito in, in a, a trade long, uh, five years ago or so. Um, I want to go ahead and talk about Jacob Stallings, someone that the Marlins brought in because of his defense coming off a gold glove. Um, award-winning season had, I believe, a six plus 16 defensive runs saved that were last season. Um, he just ranked zero and is now, I believe, a backup with the Colorado Rockies. Just how do you believe Jacob Stallings just fared with the Marlins? Like what happened there from going from a gold glove winner to now where he's a backup with the Rockies? 
That's a, a good question. And this is one where I actually feel really confident in the answer, uh, as opposed to some of the other uh, things that we talk about. Um, so what happened to Jacob Stallings was when he was with the Pirates, uh, he was great at snatching that low pitch, like setting the target and then coming up with it and getting it in the strike zone to get a called strike. Um, with the Marlins, uh, I can tell you with strong definitiveness that he was not good at this. Uh, I don't know if that's like an injury related thing uh, or what that necessarily is, but I can definitely tell you, and that is a really important part of catcher value is being able to take that low 97 mile an hour fastball that the hitter takes that's knee high that's right at the border and being able to get your pitcher a called strike for it he used to be great he's not great anymore he's 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 that's that's why he's a negative uh statistically and i feel like between us and between baseball savant i feel pretty strongly that that, that that's what it is for him yeah, this when they made that trade, uh, this was supposed to be his final year of club control, and it was it was kind of unthinkable at the time that he might not even make it that year that they would actually elect to get rid of him. But the combination of both the defense and the uh, offense made it really tough. Although he he did set a record along the way that Marlins fans are very aware of. He set a record for most consecutive games without a passed ball during the <laughs> the past that a year and a half stretch. He broke Johnny Bench's record. So even though he, uh, yeah, it wasn't framing well. At least he was avoiding some of these egregious misses on balls that were catchable for him. I want to continue. Just one more question about the catching position. You know, Jacob Stallings, but on the other hand, you have Nick Fortes, who did post a positive DRS for the Marlins. Just what, what do you believe or what are the stats saying in terms of what he does so well to recur that positive value, even playing um, almost half as many games? Yeah. Um, so again, I feel good about this one too. Uh, we have Nick Fortes as, I don't know, I, I think he's the best. He's either best or second best when it comes to pitch blocking last year. And this is uh, pretty cool. Any pitch that's in the dirt, whole season, every single one, every pitch that's in the dirt during the major league season, we note it and we note whether the catcher had a block or he missed it. Um, and that's specific uh, to situations with a runner on base and that's specific to uh two strikes on a batter in a situation where the batter could uh run to first base if he struck out um and nick fortes is the best uh at that uh so he is good at that uh he is good he is a decent pitch framer uh by our measures and even though the the staff era may have been a little high maybe and his stolen base numbers were quite frankly not great um the pitch blocking overcomes that. Now, to be really good at that, you have to be really, really good at that. And he was someone, I think for us, if you're like a 95, 96%, you're like number one. And like 92% is average. And the really lousy guys are like 88%. Um, but Nick Fortes was number one for us uh, last season when it came to pitch blocking. That's why, I think that's why he's, that's one of the big reasons why he's there. That's one of the big reasons why he, he did play a hundred something games last year. And I think that's something to watch with him moving forward. You could give people maybe 10 guesses. And I don't think they'd be able to tell you who led the Marlins last year in defensive run saved. Cause it was a pitcher. It was Jesus Lazardo. And because <laughs> of, you don't usually think of pitchers as fielders and the number 
of endings that they're out there are so limited that it's highly unusual. He was a gold glove finalist because of it. Uh, I'm fascinated by what it is that you feel he did in such a small sample to he should have won yeah that that's funny um i did look into this uh thoroughly before we we talked um so yeah he wound up with seven defensive runs saved um and a, a small chunk of that is the pickoffs uh and the fact that the stolen bases against him were not absurd like he gave up 11 catcher caught three guys he picked three guys off uh, and he threw one guy out in you know trying to steal uh so he had 31 chances during the season and <laughs> what can happen sometimes with defensive runs saved is one if you're a pitcher and you field a really hard hit comebacker um you're getting a nice spike for that and he had a couple of instances of that during the season. So he's getting that really nice spike for for that play. I think part of it is that he's in good fielding position as he releases the pitch uh, in order to allow himself to make that play. So I think that's a big part of it. The other was kind of funny. I was looking at like his top 10 plays of those 31, and two of them involved balls that he deflected, um, where a ball was hit, he got a piece of it with his glove and they threw a guy out at the plate. Might've even been the same game uh, against the Tigers uh, in June. Um, and he got a nice credit for both of those, even though he didn't actually field the ball. He is judged by our system, whether you like it or not, he is judged to have done something that assisted in the making of the out <laughs> by the ball smacking off his glove. Um, and, and that, uh, that I'm not going to say that gave him a full run saved or something, but that gave him a little value, uh, that I think some people you like, if you're watching games, you don't know that he's getting credit for that, but, uh, in our system, he does. Yeah. Interesting situation. Some of it seems repeatable. Some of it a little lucky, but uh... yeah, who, who the heck knows with that? Um, he had four run, he, now he had seven runs saved last year. He had four and three in the previous two years. So I feel like that's enough of a sample to indicate, okay, he's, he's all right at, um, at fielding batted balls. Um, and he's all right at denying stolen base attempts. So repeatable, I don't know. Uh, but I don't think he's going to like suddenly be bad. Yeah. Just, just a couple more questions from Mark here. Yeah. Pretty polarizing player here that was near the bottom of the Marlins last season in defensive run save jazz Chisholm jr. Minus nine as an exclusive center fielder. I, I can't speak for everybody. I think the general sentiment from people watching the Marlins is that it looks like a train wreck in spring training when he was learning the position. It looks, it still looks really concerning early in the year in the first couple of weeks of the season, but it did seem like as the season went on, that he really got comfortable there in a, in a variety of ways, at least to our untrained eye. It, it looked like he was settling in extremely well when he was actually on the field. That was limited, of course, due to injury. As as you've mentioned with a couple other players, there are this is a spot where Sports Info Solutions disagrees with some other measurements in terms of how how the positives and negatives like uh, even out there. So in your case, what what made him come out as such a liability last year? Yeah, so, so our system uh, graded him really, 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 really harshly those first couple of weeks. Um, like, I, I think of that negative nine, which I think is the number that he is in center field, I think 
it was something like negative five in the first couple of weeks and then negative four after that. I think that it is very difficult with the eye to evaluate center fielders. It is the most common thing that I have encountered. I literally, I think, just wrote this and published it like an hour ago for writing about Michael Taylor. Um, everyone thinks their center fielder is a good center fielder or the best center fielder because he's a great athlete and because he most center fielders make a number of really, really good catches. But the reality of it is that there can only be you know a couple of bests and a couple of worsts and then a lot of guys kind of in the middle. And now, over the la the latter part of the season, yeah, Jess Chisholm was better. He wasn't if he was negative five in two weeks, and we repeated that for the whole year. He would have been you know negative seventy. He never he wouldn't he wouldn't have seen the field. So I think just on that, he got better. He was like negative four the rest of the year. For comparison, let's do this. Imagine if we erased Jazz Chisholm Jr.'s first two weeks of the season, instead of negative nine for the season, he's negative four. Um, Cody Bellinger last season, who I think people would say looks pretty good in that in the field for the most part, uh, he was a negative three. So you could again, you could look pretty good, but the way that our system works is just it's taking the ball, it's taking the characteristics of the batter ball, it's looking at where you're playing, and it's saying what's the out probability, and it's saying did you make the catch or did you not make the catch? There are going to be some balls that. Um, that were probably hit over his head or in front of him where maybe he got a late read or maybe he took a bad route and that on TV, you don't necessarily see that one bad step that he took that turned a play that's like a 75% out probability and made it a hard play for himself. So uh, I think there were some of those. Uh, do I think he can get better? Yeah, shoot. He's 26, right? Like he got, he has whatever number of games in center field under his belt. I think he can get better. He showed he could get better after those awful first two weeks. So I, I think it's a give it time. I think if you're expecting him to be a gold glove, I think that might be a little silly. But can he be respectable in center field? I think he can get there. He's a good athlete. Um, I would say my other question would just be with Larissa Arias in terms of how he performed starting second base. I, I believe one of the first times, majority of his career, we've seen him a lot in first base with the Twins and now shifting over to second base, posting just a, a two DRS. How do you believe Arise um, has shown himself in second base, or do you see him maybe again uh, long-term? Could he go back to first base, which might be more comfortable to him in terms of gaining more DRS compared to how he was in second? Um, I think I think he'd be all right at second base. We've uh, His 2019, we, we didn't particularly like, but if you look at the next few years at second base for him, he's positive. Like we have him as as a above average uh, second baseman. Can I tell you like necessarily what he's really good at? Um, I'm looking at it here. He looks to be uh, last year he was better fielding balls in the first base second base hole than he was going up the middle. Uh, he was good on the double play by our percentages. We do a thing where we check double plays. Did you turn it or did you not? Uh, his percentage of did you turn it when the opportunity was there was good. Uh, respectable at least. Um, he doesn't have an, uh, like an overwhelming number of misplays. He made his fair share of decent defensive plays. I, I On the list of Marlins concerns for 2024, I don't think I would put uh, his defense high on the list. I think he'll be mm -hmm. fine wherever they put him. 
Just to close this out, Mark, I don't think there are formal projections you can do with DRS moving forward. Um, but as as best as you can, you know, approximate how these pieces fit together on the Marlins entering this year. Should people reasonably expect it to look similar to last year, where they were, I think, twenty first in team DRS? Or is is there? Do you have any strong feel one way or another in terms of how this will compare to last year's team? Well, what did where did they where did they get better? I guess that would be my question. Like they they took shortstop and they probably made it a little worse, right? Um, by taking Birdie out of there regularly, um, I think that would be my primary question: is like where did they make it better? Uh, I don't I don't think they're necessarily a top ten defensive team given what's what's out there, unless you can tell me somewhere that you think they made it better. <laughs> It's yeah, it's it, no, it, it does not look great uh, for the moment. Perhaps assuming a little bit of improvement from Jazz with more experience, but they do have still, um, yeah, they made some marginal changes a little bit more Nick Gordon in left field instead of Brian Dela Cruz. I know that Dela Cruz was by any measure, Dela Cruz was uh, bad over there, and he'll get more DH time. A little addition by subtraction. Well, I, I shouldn't really say that. Stallings, as we covered, he was he was a zero, but maybe Christian Benthencourt, mm-hmm. he has his positives and his negatives. So that's a little bit unclear right there. And um, no, yeah, I think overall it is, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit. I, I'd say that the one other thing we'd mentioned earlier about Jody Reed being involved with the defensive positioning and what the Marlins have done entering this year is instead of splitting his time between being a third base coach and doing that, I guess he's devoting a little bit more energy towards the infield positioning. I don't, I don't know exactly how much uh, of a difference that will make, but yeah, it is. It's top of mind for everybody because there is a lot of excitement about the Marlins pitching staff, and I have to keep reminding people that run prevention is both the pitching and it's also the defense, and so that is why this this factor is going to be a pretty big difference in terms of whether they're an elite run prevention unit or whether they're, you know, too close to the middle of the pack and that it, you know, makes them not as competitive, of course, as they were last year. Yeah. I'm of the belief that like Lizardo, if things were right, could be a Cy Young contender. Um, and he's more likely, although the voting, the voting block is much more sophisticated this year, but he'll look a lot better with the ERA that's three or, you know, high twos than an ERA that's three and a half where he's not really, um, a contender for for uh, a major award um and yeah the defense needs to be good behind them yeah from eli Sussman, daniel rodriguez thanks so much to, to mark simon of sports info solutions for joining us right here as i mentioned up top i've been following him a long time especially on twitter so you can follow him there at mark a simon mark a simon says at Twitter, you can check out some of the writing that I think you just said you, you added another one on sportsinfosolutions.com. It's really cool analysis, especially that one on the Marlins from last year. We'll be able to link to it on this episode that people can read that as well and get an even deeper conceptualization about exactly how all this these pieces fit together. You can get even more about all of Mark's endeavors at marksimonsmedia.com. So thanks a lot uh, for all this stuff. And uh, yeah, this was awesome. We learned a lot. Great. I'm glad I was able to help. Next episode Mark. of the official show should be coming at you on Tuesday morning. A whole lot of Marlins coverage between now and then on fishonfirst.com. We appreciate everybody who tunes in, supports what we do. 
Go Fish.